Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, belly dancing and George's. There's a lot of stigma about the dance. There's this idea that it's a seduction dance. The The relationship between culture and uh, religion and then dancing can get a little messy sometimes. In Arabic music, there's something called tarab which is like the, the dance, produ- the music produced this type of like ecstasy experience. And that's part of the magic of it. And that flowy, graceful movements, even though they look very easy, they're not. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps out the show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, thank you so much for all of the support. So our first guest is an award-winning belly dancer who has performed all over the world. What's really interesting, I think, about this, though, is not just the history of the dance or how you do it, but the culture that surrounds it, because it is both sought after and stigmatized at the same time. This is belly dancer Valerique Molinari. So is belly dancing, is it fundamentally different than other kinds of dancing? There's a lot of things that makes it very particular and unique. Starting by the history of the name and the label of belly dancing. Okay, So the name, the title, the word belly dancing is a colonial term that doesn't necessarily translate or refers to a specific geographic region where this dance coming from comes from. So when you say belly dance, people, especially in the Western social imaginary, right in the West here, us in America, we kind of like don't have a clear perspective of where is this dancing coming from. Okay. Compared to ballet and other Western disciplines that were more popular, uh, in ballet, there's more use of the extensions of the body, right? Arms, legs. The French call it belly dancing because they started invading the north of Africa. They started seeing Gawasi and gypsies dancers. And they noticed that there was a lot of focus in the middle part of the body, which in ballet, that's totally forbidden, right? Because in ballet, you dance with a very rigid torso. Uh, so... That's how they call it belly dancing, because for them, for the colonizers, they could see this constant movie of, of the belly. And that's something that we have that is very particular and unique compared to other styles of dancing is a focus on the movement in the middle part of the body between the hips and the belly area. 
the name belly dancing then does that irritate people good question for some people especially for middle eastern people can be a term that they don't necessarily uh like it because it really doesn't bring any type of visibility uh to them or their culture uh, or in this case their dance uh and for other people they're just like okay you know this is part of like the history it is what it is but honestly for marketing purposes it's very difficult because if i use raksharki which would be like a correct arabic term people have no idea what i'm referring to it's become so pervasive that you can't get around it exactly so now what i do is i use it and once people come to my class or people ask me let's say in a platform like a podcast like this about the term then I use it as a, mo a great moment to kind of like educate people about it. You mentioned it very briefly, but what's the traditional name of it? Where does it originate from? Mostly, let's say in the Arab world, the term will be raks, which means dance, al-charki, which means dance from the east. Okay. And when we talk about dance from the east, we're talking more about the style of dance that it's a little bit more theatrical. Then we have the term racks ballady. That racks means dance. Ballady means from the people or belonging to a certain area. That it's what we term, the term that we use to describe more casual and social dancing. Meaning that if I go to an Arabic party and they have Arabic music playing and I see people gathering and dancing for each other, they're just doing racks ballady. Meaning using this uh, beautiful hip work in a very social context. When I do Raksai Sharky, means when I do it all by myself in a more theatrical way with the two-piece costume and the way Hollywood has kind of like frame it and make it more popular for us. When I think about other styles of dance that I know, right, that all seem to be more focused on the whole body or the extremities, big kind of movements, why is... Is belly dancing different than that? Well, there's more focus in the middle part of the body. Uh, and if you really pay attention to many folklore dancers, dances in a global scale, even me that I come from the Caribbean, uh, you'll know that there's a lot of folklore dances that include hip work, Polynesian dance, Salsa, uh, Afro-Brazilian, you name it. There's a lot of folklore dances that include really nice torso and, and hip work. Uh, but they haven't become, I want to say, so commercialized as the way we see belly dance. So we tend to identify only belly dance with hip work. But let's say Polynesian dance, it's, they use a lot of, in, in fact, very similar hip work. Is it harder than other kinds of dancing? In a way, yes. It's a very different idea of moving also. For me that I come from Puerto Rico, like social dance, it's a partner's dance. And I feel this dance, even though in a casual context, yes, you can be dancing, but it's all about you. It's a solo type of performance. It's more difficult in that sense because you're generating everything. 
you're generating the musicality. When you're dancing with a partner, there's this constant communication of information, right? The partner is telling you to turn, whatever. So there's this constant information happening from body to body. From me, when I do belly dance all by myself, it's all about me. It's my body guiding that energy and connecting to the audience. Yes, there's there's going to be communication between the audience and the dancer, but it's totally different when you are a solo dancer, a soloist, that you're dancing completely by yourself. It seems very flowy. It is, and that's part of the magic of it. And that flowy, graceful movements, even though they look very easy, they're not. It requires a lot of control because you want the movement to be flowy, but you don't want it to look like it's lacking energy. So we use our muscles in a certain way to create those undulations and those movements, circular, very flowy, but at the same time that you see it and you're like kind of like immediately drawn or kind of like hypnotized. So, you know, the thing that I always see in like the media necessarily, right? Like TVs and movies, it's one belly dancer up on a stage. Is that kind of like the traditional way that it's done? Yes. Since the 1920s, there was this lady in Cairo. She opened a casino opera because she wanted it to uh, present to Western audience that were in Cairo right now at the moment uh, a show that it was similar to the Moulin Rouge. So she, what she did was like, okay, I'm gonna take certain indigenous dancing or dances, right? But I'm gonna have to refine them. I'm gonna have to sanitize them to bring them to the stage. So they can actually be related to Western audience and also our local native audience can also enjoy it. So she started integrating the veil. She started integrating the two piece costume which she literally took it from the Moulin Rouge in Paris. So that idea of the two-piece costume is something that we got from burlesque. It was not the authentic costume that you would see, let's say, Gawasi dancers or Bedouin dancers wearing. Is it, though, in those cultures, though, where it seems to be practiced the most, is there a kind of irritation, I guess, that, like, to me, at least, what seems like the bastardized version of it is now the thing that everybody knows. Well, there's a lot of stigma about the dance in the Middle East. Even though it's a folklore dance, it's not well seen, generally. I'm, I'm not going to use the right words for this necessarily, but I think of that culture as being much more kind of religious and more cover up women and then belly dance seems like a very sexualized dance. Mm -hmm. Like those two things don't seem like they go together very well. So it's been a problem because I feel the dance has been very sexualized, but I think it has to do a lot with the way in general, in a global scale, we tend to also sexualize women in entertainment businesses. Like it's very common, this type of practice. Um, and definitely the, the, the relationship between culture and, uh, religion and then dancing can get a little messy sometimes. And on the other half, 
I also have to say that this dance also, in historical practice, it has been related to sex work. So in the in social imaginary, there's this idea that the dancer is still kind of like some type of sex worker. Um, but it's really interesting also this dynamic because, for example, in the Middle East, uh, an example that they use a lot, it's like they will want a dancer for the wedding, you know, they will go crazy for the dancer. Everybody loves the dancer as long as she doesn't marry any member of the family. I, for me, it's easy and more accepted. Let's say if I would decide to go to Egypt and become a dancer for me to do it, than for an Egyptian woman to do it herself. She has to confront other challenges that I don't have to confront because I'm an outsider of the, of the culture. I go there, I dance and like, they're like, Oh yeah, you know, she's a dancer, but you know, she's American. You know, it's, you know, I don't get that so harsh judge. They would see me as an artist, but it's different when an Egyptian woman that society has other type of expectations from her. When she decides to dance, it's she has to confront her family. Probably members of her family would not like it. Probably, you know, it, it's, it could be even difficult for them to find a place where to live because there's an stigma also on the dancer. So those are some of the situation and challenges that this dance has. It's, it's interesting because I just recently came from Egypt and Egypt we consider kind of like a mecca of the dance. Like they dance a lot. Dance is very present in the nightlife, meaning that you go out and you see men and women belly dancing in nightclubs, cabaret and everywhere. There's a belly dancer everywhere. <laughs> but still, when you talk to the dancers, you realize that they're, they're constantly going through this struggle and, 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 and dealing with these stigmas. For, you know, for, for dancers then that are from that part of the world that you know, is that a big struggle with them? Where like, yes. I like to do this thing, but in my society, even though it's, adored it's also discriminated against yes yes and also i will say nick there's not too many differences between the stigmas that i also have to confront here in the west than what they have to confront so that's why i have a lot of and i think that's in the beginning probably i didn't notice or i didn't know that's why i felt so so attracted for arab women dancing because I noticed that they dance differently. Like I noticed that they dance with a different type of power and passion. You know, when I say to people in America that I'm a belly dancer, yes, it's easier for me. A question that I always get a lot that I know in the moment people ask me this is that they have no idea what type of work I do. When they ask me, do you do bachelorette parties? Is that from the, like, I'll say this, right? Like whenever I see it in movies, there's always the implication that, right, the belly dancer is going to perform and then maybe she's going to do something else afterwards. Yes. There's this idea that it's a seduction dance. That it's a dance to... That's, that's, that's the main idea of everybody. Like, the dancer comes, especially in films, she's coming to seduce, to distract somebody, very femme fatale, because she's trying to obtain something. Okay? Uh, 
So yeah, there's this expectation with, I feel in general with exotic dance that if a woman is doing some type of sensual dance, right? There, there's gonna have, there's gonna be a after performance that we don't get to see, right? Or it's leading to that place. Some people can be more religious and they can be like, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to even rent you this apartment because I don't want a belly dancer to be living in my property. But, but yeah, there's, there's this huge stigma about the dancer, uh, that it's very common where you can have the dancer entertaining basically the most important events of your life, like birthday parties, like she's the life of the party. But then if, if a member of the family, decides to record a video of them belly dancing on TikTok or whatever, that can be a big deal. <laughs> it almost sounds like in the United States, kind of like like a stripper. Yeah, yes. It is consumed in certain, certain contexts. And that's the thing also, like, where is the dance presented? The context will tell you a lot on how it's people consuming dance. So... For example, if I'm dancing in a wedding where I'm coming and I, uh, the responsibility of the dancer in the wedding is to kind of like symbolize that type of sensual energy and like you are there to kind of like celebrate love, but symbolically you are kind of like a representation of Venus, you know. And the, 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 the dancer comes and she's dancing with the bride and the room and it's like this beautiful energy and atmosphere and everybody's dancing perfect. Like with the dancer, everybody's enjoying the performance. Then you can also go to the cabaret, which the cabaret is a more private context. It's a place where you cannot record. It's a place for people who can can go like really wild they're very fun you know people can have all type of you know fun get on the stage shaky get crazy even religious people uh but in that type of venue there's sex workers there could be some dancers that could also be sex workers so you know that's a place where if if i immerse myself there I know people are going to be consuming my dance kind of like some type of soft porn. Last question, kind of in this regard, right? But then how come belly dancing got viewed like that where I don't look at other types of dancing like that? It seems to be only specifically belly dancing. Yeah, and that you're correct about that. Um, many people will say to you that this is like the story of colonization, that since the beginning, since the 1001 nights, there's the West has this idea of uh, portraying the Arab world as a place full of sensuality and myth and very, you know, exotic. And there's a movement, uh, an artistic movement called Orientalism at the ending of the 19th centuries, where they started to uh, paint and even photograph some of these women in the Turkish bath but sexualizing them. And I think that stereotype of, like like you say, that is such an accurate uh, observation. Like, you don't see ballet dancers the same way that you see a belly dancer at all, right? Um, but I think the West has been very obsessed with portraying 
uh, this type of dance as a seduction dance because it's new, it makes sense. Uh, and uh, the fact that many of the movements were very focused in the area of the pelvis, I think we immediately went to like super sexualize them. Welcome in. Like, what got you into it? What drew you to it? Well, I was uh, I was in doing ballet, jazz, and acrobatics when I was very young. I started when I was eight years old. By the time that I was thirteen, I was in a dance camp, and they offer a belly dance class. And my body was changing there at that time. Like I was becoming a teenager, and puberty was like really not like too nice to me. It's a tough time for a lot of people. Tough time. Yeah, yeah. Tough time. And um, I loved the class because at the the time, uh, I was getting, you know, I was growing. I did not have the skinny body for ballet or for jazz. So I was developing a lot of body issues. And then suddenly I took belly dance and I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is a dance where... It's all about the curves. Uh, this is like difficult. It's new. It looks good on my body. I feel like I can do it. And like it was, it was, it was the best hobby that I could ask life to have it when I was a teenager. Correct me if I'm wrong here right now. Have you won international awards or performed internationally or fill it, kind of fill in the resume? Yes, I I did. Uh, I competed for four years. My first competition I won in 2009 was the Miami Belly Dance Convention. Was an, was an event here. That's how I actually finished in Miami because I won that competition and they offered me a job here. Then I did another one here in Miami called Rockstar that I got second place and People's Choice Award. Then I did another one called Queen of Rock Sharky in Texas that had a full, uh, the, the judges were all Egyptian. And then 2014 or 13, I do Nile Group Festival. That, that was an art competition that I did in a festival in Egypt, in Cairo. And I got the, the first place uh, professional category. That must have been a really big deal. Oh I feel like that would be a big deal. Yeah, no, that was like... To be able to measure myself in that scale, uh, it was very majestic and beautiful and empowering and difficult at the same time. How is the kind of atmosphere in terms of like how much people like it different over there than it is in the United States? First of all, it's part of their culture. So everybody dances like naturally and even men. This is something that people have this idea of constantly framing this dance as only for women. But it's incredible when you go there in the nightlife and you see the amount of guys doing hip work. Like what would you compare it to there that something that you would compare it to here? Okay. The audiences are looking for different things. Here in the West... They're looking for entertainment. So I have to bring swords. I have to bring candle tray. I have to give them more elements of showmanship. Okay. There, they're just looking for a dancer that it's more connected to the music. A show versus a performance. Exactly. Yeah. 
So there, the dancer, it's really connecting with the music, the musicians, and the audience. She's kind of like, in Arabic music, there's something called tarab, which is like the, the dance, the music produced this type of like ecstasy experience. And in tarab music, the music tends to repeat a lot. So it kind of like takes you to that moment. You know, when you like a song a lot and you put it and you put it and every time you put it, it sounds better, 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 better. Some of the musical structures of the songs in the Arab world are meant like that to take the audience into that tarab experience, to that ecstasy experience where you were just like, in this enjoying music into a different level and the dancer has to amplify that experience the dancer it's kind of like being a visual representation of that and here in the west we, we don't have that type of communication with the audience it seems like western dancing is more paint by numbers right like you're doing specific movements like there's an instructional seat mm -hmm. sheet for it Exactly. And that kind of music is more like just flowing with it. Exactly. It's drastically different. Are there certain kind of traditional movements to it? Like, Yeah, for sure. Steps are going to be very basic. What makes it different is actually the dancer. Each dancer, their goal is to create their own style. And that's what people will like about you. They, that's why people will enjoy to see one hour of a show of you is because you move it, you move in a very particular way. And that means that you, your musicality, it's very particular. The way that you hear the music is very particular. The way you execute the movements are very particular. But we're basically sharing the same set of steps. But they can be done in drastically different ways. And the shape and the body of the dancer can make the, also the movement look totally different. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Yes. Best place to perform? <gasps> the classroom. The dance classroom. Is there a country though? Like oh, you want me to play a country? Okay, a country, a country, a country. Best place to perform? I'll, oh my God, this is so difficult. I have to pick three. Puerto Rico, because of course I'm very attached to my land and like the few times that I get to have performing opportunities there, like I really like, oh my God, I'm back home. Uh, second one, I have to say Egypt for sure. Egypt. Yeah, that's it. I say Puerto Rico and Egypt. Who's the best celebrity belly dancer? <gasps> Ooh, there's a lot of them. There's. Well, one of my favorites, it's Fifi Abdu, which was a, a very famous dancer in the 80s and 90s. Uh, she has super strong personality. She became also like a TV personality. And she's already older, but she looks super good. And she put videos of her dancing the entire time in her Instagram. The entire time, she's always putting videos of her uh, dancing. So I love her, what she represents. I love that she is probably, like, easy in her 60s. And, like, she just make herself super glamorous and dance with so much confidence. And you can tell she loves her body. So I want to say Fifi. Fifi. Fifi is my favorite 
belly dance personality. And the one I always think of is Shakira. Oh, Shakira. Shaki has Lebanese background. But Shakira, what she does is a lot of like, we call it like isolating movements and accents. I haven't seen a, a performance of her where I say, okay, you know, she's really, really, really belly dancing. Like what she do with the rope and everything, it's still too westernized for me. It's it's got it's like derived from it. But exactly. It's not quite the I, I can't tell the jazz teacher was there telling her, Oh, do do a hip work here and then we'll combine it with this and and that's it. Who is is there somebody that's like I always use Michael Jordan? Is there somebody that would be like, Oh, that's the best deli, belly dancer of all time? Right now in Egypt I like a dancer a lot that is called Oksana. And Oksana is a Russian dancer that has incredible flexibility and she can do things with her body that I've never seen anybody doing it. Um, I like a Brazilian dancer a lot called Soraya Sayet. That for me, she was one of the best entertainers of all time. She would finish her her show playing the Darbuka. Uh, and like she would do all type of variety of folklore dancers, dances, like, you would see her show and it was like, ah, show, ah, show, all her, all her. And she's like 4'11". She's super small and she used these giant heels. So I like her a lot. Her hip work is ridiculous. She's Brazilian also. So she incorporates some of Brazilian dancing in her belly dancing. And it looks so good. Um, and yeah, I want to say like those two are basically some of my favorite dancers nowadays that I like adore. Does belly dancing expose or cover up a bad dancer? Like if you're a bad dancer, uh -huh. does belly dancing really showcase that? Or can you be like, oh, you can kind of hide it a little bit with this? Not really. If you're a bad dancer, you know, and also what represents to be a bad dancer? I think that there's certain things that are difficult to kind of like cover up with belly dancing. For example, the musicality of a person. If you're a person that doesn't have musicality, this is the type of dance that will definitely highlight it. That makes sense. Now, are you a good dancer in other things? Yeah. Are most, but are most good belly dancers probably good dancers in other things? It's not like I mean, I'm great I think, at this. I think it's good to like, explore other dance styles but for me i i had a training before getting to belly dance like i used to do ballet jazz modern dance so i, I i'm okay best belly dancing scene in a movie or a tv show Ooh. my favorite dancing is from an indian movie Oh, I don't remember the name, but it's Nadia Jamal. If I'm mistaken, it's on the 1970s. I think it's Pumranjari, Pumjari. But yeah, it's a very iconic dance scene where uh, she's dancing on the stage. And like, there's, I think, these investigators that arrive 
and she's dancing and they they are like totally mesmerized uh by her dancing and there's a little bit of comedy involved uh but and yeah and she's one of my favorite dancers also Nadia Jamal she was a famous Egyptian dancer she moved to Lebanon did her career in Lebanon and was one of the first dancers that came here to the US from the Middle East to train dancers in the 90s um and yeah she has that iconic dancing and she has ridiculous floor work there what tip would you give to somebody just starting out tip you would give to somebody that's like oh i'm struggling with this aspect of it like i just can't get this down for somebody that is starting out okay be patient it takes time enjoy the journey okay because people take the first classes and they find that that is very difficult and it's oh my god yeah like everything it takes time you know you just have to like go little by little find a really good teacher with good credentials this is very important not because somebody is a Zumba teacher doesn't mean that they have the preparation uh, to teach this dance with the cultural sensibility that it requires and teach you something correct and authentic uh, and for people that are struggling with their challenges in the dance it could be something technical it could be like starting improvisation give it a time give it a time be very uh have compassion with yourself and understand also that discipline is not necessarily like this discipline can be like this so as long as you can keep those commitments it's okay if then suddenly you take a month that you couldn't make it to class or you couldn't practice it's okay the next month is coming and you're gonna continue it so try to be as consistent as you can i would say that that would be my main advice that's pretty much all the questions that i had is there anything that you think we missed or what's kind of really. coming up next for you I, well i have lots of future projects i am organizing the first miami belly dance retreat in miami happening august 24 to the 28th and we're combining belly dance with other wellness alternatives so that's something that I think is going to be majestic next year. And I have a theatrical production also called Belly Dance Stories with Alexandra Molina, which is another dancer here from Miami, where we uh, actually, we combine creative writing and dancing. And in this production, the dancers, which are some of our students and people from our community, uh, tell a little bit about their story, what they're dancing, and what the performance represents, and then they perform it. So we we did the 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 first show this year in August. I think we did it. And it was very majestic because we have pe we have pieces in the show talking about fat phobia, depression, uh, body positivity, uh, you name it. And all these ladies basically talk about how their belliness journey helped them. Uh, That's good. With all those challenges. So, yeah, basically my platform is just to continue helping women and empowering them through dance and through belliness. And, and that's it. That's what makes me very happy.
I want to thank Valerique so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media sites. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And we've also included her information in the episode description. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. Now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Did you make any resolutions for 2023? I did. I made I made a few. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary. Nothing crazy. I'd like to get back to getting into some kind of fitness again. Um, I want to read more. Uh, last year, I wanted to read 25 books, and I only logged three. <laughs> Man, that is falling pretty short of your goals, right? You know the the other one that uh, that I think is probably most important is I just I want to make more time. For friends. So, but these sound like the same New New Year's resolutions that pretty much everybody makes every single year. I want to lose weight. I want to read more. I want to make more time for friends and family. But why do you feel like it never happens for you? Like, why are you making the same New Year's resolutions every year? Well, you know, I think it comes down to really just choices, right? Um, Life gets in the way. I mean, that's for sure. Uh, Maybe that's a resolution. I need to find a better work-life balance. Yeah, you don't you don't say no enough. I feel like you need to say no to things more often. I do. I uh, I am not good at saying no. I am not good at relinquishing control for whatever that means when it comes to my job. Even when I'm off, I still check things and that's uh it's not healthy at all. Do you want to talk about do you want to elaborate on your on your three-piece suit you wore? On New Year's Eve to your basement? Uh, if I'm going to party in my basement, I'm going to be looking good on New Year's Eve. Did my wife send you a picture <laughs> of what I, how sweet of a dude I look like? Oh, yeah. Do, do you, have you, did you not know that? Do you want to see the photo? Show me the photo, actually. I want to see the photo. What is it? I, I got to tell you, it's, uh, you, you look good, man. Let me, uh, let me bring it up here. I mean, I look kind of like a smooth forest gump because I don't have any shoes on. And it's kind of got that color there is what I would describe it as. Imagine Forrest but Gump I mean, in a suit without shoes, and that's basically what you're looking at right there. <laughs> but I mean, most, uh, I mean, the, the gray, the silver, you know, like the, the silver gray, the sleek. Oh, the yeah. Sleekness of it. I mean, you were out to do some damage that night. Well, right. I mean, I went to bed at 930, but for about a 15 <laughs> minute period between, I think, 830 and 845. No. I dress up in my basement to party in my basement, and then I do the nine o'clock thing when it turns midnight on New York. Even though I live in Seattle, so it's three, so it's nine o'clock in Seattle. Take a shot, and then I, you know, stuff my face with chips and go to bed. That's my plan. <laughs> I, uh, I, I wanted to talk about the New Year's content on the three main channels, but I don't even know if I care enough to bring it up. I just want to say that I was astounded by how terrible the the music was. I've never even watched it. I have never turned on any kind of New Year's celebration at all. 
ever. I, I'm, I'm not sure you're missing anything. It was absolutely terrible. I mean, ABC's the, you know, Dick Clark's Rock and New Year's Eve there. The big final act before the ball dropped was uh, Duran Duran. Yeah, that's not the really. No. Yeah, that's not a big time thing that I would want to be watching is Duran no. Duran. I've never watched any of that. I can't believe anybody does. Uh, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I think people do. And I think those of us out there who say, you know, I don't watch it. I Well, actually, I, I probably would uh, think that a lot of people didn't watch it because of the Ohio State game that ended literally at midnight. Um, but I think, I think on a regular night, most people probably do tune into one of the channels, I would think. I don't watch any of it. It never even crossed my mind. Yeah, no, but I have said this before, and I think that you agree that New Year's Eve is an overrated, an overrated thing. Okay, but if you always fail at your New Year's resolutions, right? Because I always generally fail at mine. Can you pinpoint one place where you would say, like, I have actually improved myself in this area? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can tell you, I don't think I've, I don't remember the last time I crossed off a New Year's resolution and completed one in its entirety. I can't actually think of any thing that I've wanted to change in my life and actually been successful in doing it. I Maybe I've gotten a little bit better, but I've never been like, I want to do this, and completely, like you said, checked off that goal. I mean, at any point in my life, I, I don't think I've... I, I did one thing. I ran a, I ran a half marathon. Like, and I guess I got married and had kids, but I mean, I don't consider that a, like a, a goal or a resolution, really. That's just bad luck. I'm not, impre- I'm not impressed by the half marathon. If it's not a full marathon, did you get a sticker? No, I, I won't get a sticker. I did get a pretty badass medal, though, for it. You got a medal for what place? It wasn't a it was just for finishing. I'm just not that impressed by that. I think running any distance is is a feat. I'm okay. I don't disagree with you that they're all not a little bit impressive, especially to, you know, like like everybody's physical condition and physical abilities is different. But I don't think that you can get a sticker or a medal unless it's a full marathon. Okay, are you ready for your shout outs? All right. Well, I got uh, you know what I have a New Year's resolution to okay. get through the first name without uh, without screwing it up in the shout outs. So let's, uh, I picked an easy one to make sure that I start off 2023. Good here. Okay. So, uh, Jerry church. Congratulations. You're the first shout out of 2023. A little hard, a little hard on the church. kind of muffled the church <laughs> a little bit, but that's close. I ha- it's good enough. <laughs> I, right. I, like it, it, I think any AI transcription bot is going to understand what she said. So I think you're good. I, I had to. All right. Uh, let's let's get to it. Uh, Trey Perkins, Angel Lockhart, Kyle Williams, and then we get into some difficult ones here. Uh, Andy Vandenhuvel, Nadim Samara, Johnny Chen, Stephen James, Tristan LaCroix, and Sergio Rosales. Here are the shout-outs. The first shout-outs of 2023 congratulations what an honor what an honor it's i tell you that that list took me a whole three minutes to 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 combine uh 
and it usually takes me one. So consider okay. yourselves lucky. Put some extra You're thought into lucky. it. All right. You have to. Have to. All right. I got a couple of uh, first episode of 2023 bangers for you. Okay. Okay. All right. What do you think is to you? Now, this is just you answering this question. What's more scary? Getting up on a ladder when it's windy? Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where I came up with these. Uh, mowing the lawn when it's extremely hot? Or just weed whacking in general? Well, getting what's, up on a ladder when it's windy. I'm not worried about mowing the lawn when it's hot. Well, how hot is it? Are we talking like 150, like an oven? Or are yeah. we just talking like it's a hot day, like 100 to 110? No, we're talking like extremely hot. Like you have the chance of having a uh, you know a heat stroke. Give me a number. Kind of hot. I mean, we'll say 115. You're talking to a guy who used to live in Phoenix, Arizona, man. Oh, don't don't tempt fine. me with a nice day. Jesus Christ. Fine, 115 with a heat index of 135. Okay. Tuesday. Not worried about Tuesday. Okay. Can cut the lawn on a Tuesday. Sorry. I will say this. The hottest it ever was when I was living in Phoenix was 121, maybe 122. Pretty damn hot. But you can still kind of go about your day if you're careful about things. I was in some negative 50 temperatures over Christmas, and that's like, oh, wow, you can't fuck around with that. Cold will kill you a lot faster than heat will, in my opinion. Or your body at least is like, whoa, man, you better get out of here. I mean, I think you're correct on that. I, I can tell you, we had some like negative 15 uh, here in the Detroit area, and the breeze, let alone just the wind, is enough to kind of knock you on your butt if you're not careful. Yeah, dude. But anyway, ladder when it's windy, man. I have reached <laughs> well, you... an age. And for people who maybe once you pass 35, I'm going to say closer to 37, you start getting like a little bit more unsteady on your feet you're much more careful about like walking and climbing up things like it just suddenly <laughs> one day and you're like i'm moving like an old man i'm gonna say 37 is when you start to like tread a little lightly when you're doing stuff like you look at a ladder and like oh man this might kill me yeah ladders are no fun i will i will say this that weed whacking i don't look forward to weed whacking either because I'm always going to whip the shit out of my ankles or my leg. Yeah, like, that's, that just sucks. That, yeah, don't be afraid to do things the way it's supposed to, to be done. You're no, supposed to not hurt the way yourself. it's supposed to be done. Yeah, it's it is. Not it means you're doing be. it right. No, no, you're not. That yeah. is absolutely wrong. And if somebody on this podcast or that listens goes out this summer and cuts themselves up on purpose, weed whacking, because you said it's what's supposed to be done, you're going to feel bad. I'm going to give him a handshake and a beer and say, good job with the yard. That's how it's done. <laughs> After they get out of the ER because they need 26 stitches to repair the Man. wound in their leg. What would be like the worst domestic way? Because there was some famous actor, I think Jeremy something, that was just yeah. like put in Renner. critical condition from a snowplow. Like yeah, what's the Jeremy. worst domestic way to get seriously injured? Weed whacker, snowplow, falling off a ladder. I'd say probably cutting yourself while cooking or something. Like, that would be pretty embarrassing. Yeah, but you're not going to most likely give yourself a fatal injury cutting. 
unless you're using like a not in the kitchen. I mean, you might do some damage to some like maybe you could lose a finger or a hand. But that's not going to be fatal in most cases. I mean, I, I I guess I don't think that any of those are that that crazy. I mean, they happen. I mean, probably the the ones that I always like turn my head about are the chainsaw incidents. Like, how did that guy kill himself with a chainsaw? Chainsaw, I can understand the most. Like, oh man, yeah. If somebody was killed doing something like domestically around the house, chainsaw. I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, man, you got to be careful with that. But if you're getting into, like, snowplow, falling off a ladder, I can kind of understand. Oh, he fell off a roof. Chainsaw, I understand. Snowplow, I'm like, what are you doing? Weed whacker, I'd definitely be wondering. Like, he was mowing the lawn. I'm always slightly afraid, like, of my legs getting cut off by the lawnmower. Yeah, I, I don't ever have that worry, actually. But, you know, now I got to tell you my snowblower story now real fast. Okay, okay. Uh, Ha- happened two years ago, uh, twenty. The, so the winter of twenty twenty, I was snow blowing. We we had just gotten like a foot of snow, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't need to explain this. Essentially, what happened was the engine on the outside, or you know, got really hot. I didn't realize how hot it was. So I went to go fix something on the snowblower, and I put my hand on that, and it burnt through my glove. And I had an imprint of like the little motor, uh, the little motor rectangle, like the case of the motor uh, on my hand for probably three weeks. That's how hot it was and how much of a burn I got. Why would you put your hand on the engine? Well, because it's, I wasn't thinking, obviously. Mm, okay. Um, oh, that's, yeah. Okay. And yeah. But isn't that how all, most of these accidents happen? You're not thinking, you're not paying attention. I mean, you don't no realize offense, it, right? I will say that no. a couple of maybe last year I was unplugging a dryer and I didn't turn the power off before and I thought I had electrocuted myself. <laughs> like I had an instantaneous yell, like but it was like a manly yell, like ah, oh, meh, God, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to die going with a snowblower. Who? Yeah, I'd rather. Would you All rather right. be killed by a snowblower or a snow snowblower slash snowplow or a lawnmower? Am I going to be dead instantaneously? It's going to be pretty quick. You're going to have 30 seconds uh, left. Like just enough time for your family to find your body out in the yard. You're going to get to say one last couple of words to somebody. That's a tough one. Uh, th- this should be our second question. This is a good one. Uh, I, I'm going to go with a lawnmower. I'll go with the lawnmower. I would go with a snowplow slash snowblower only because I feel like the lawnmower is probably going to be more your fault, right? <laughs> like maybe something could have gone wrong, more of a freak accident, more like, man, how'd that happen? As opposed to like, oh, he had that lawnmower for 20 years. He never did tighten the blade. Like I think the lawnmower is going to be more your fault. That's why I'm against it. Well, I guess all in all, we we send Jeremy Renner our uh... – our get well soon. I heard he was in pretty bad shape, so hopefully he can pull through it and uh, and and do keep doing what he does. Um, it brought up a question to me that I ask every time I hear about a famous person having an accident like this: is why was he snow plowing in the first place, or like why was he out there? I've actually thought about this. I think that there there is a huge value in some physical work for people. I think that sometime, man woman, whatever, you got to go out there and like get your hands dirty. You got to chop wood. 
some work. I think that's good for people. And I think that people, I would almost say I enjoy it. I just want you to know I have an axe. I'm going to chop down a tree this soon. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be a couple weeks, but I bought the axe. Okay. It doesn't let's, may, let's... make you any more of a man. Um, all right. The, the other question I had was uh, what's more infuriating uh, to you? Picking up, and I don't know if you have a real tree or not, uh, picking up Christmas needles, Christmas tree needles, picking up Christmas wrapping paper from your asshole kids, or having to pick up, like, say you hosted a New Year's party and you have to pick up the next day after that. I hate picking up any kinds of little things. Any kind of little thing, especially if your house is already clean. Like you get some crumbs or some crackers on the floor after you've already vacuumed it, and that drives me insane. I don't mind big <laughs> projects, right? I feel like the wrapping paper, the cleaning up after a party, those are like big projects. But I don't like the death by a thousand cuts that comes with a Christmas tree, which is why I have a fake Christmas tree. So I don't want to be picking I, that stuff up all the time. I do too. I uh, I love it. I think we've talked about it. I, wouldn't I'll never go back. Never ever go back. Too artificial? No, it's a real. I'll never go back to a real tree. There's no ever. reason to. There's no reason not to. Burn all the burn burn them all down. Probably not a good <laughs> idea, but anyway. Okay. No, that's a terrible idea. Uh well are you kind of already well, you kinda of answered the question, but not really. But our our poll question this week on Elon Musk's Twitter. Uh, was, you know, the most popular New Year's resolution, it seems, always getting fit, working out. So the question was, obviously, how long do you usually keep a fitness resolution into the New Year? Is it a day? Is it a week? Is it a month? Do you not ever do a fitness resolution? Um, uh, yeah, the answer was about about a month for most of, uh, for whoever voted on our poll. Most but people asked about, about a month. You? That seems about about right. The crazy thing is I remember either reading something or having someone tell me this. I think we actually interviewed a neuroscientist about it one time that he said that if you can continue a pattern for three weeks, your brain will then become established and like then it becomes much easier. Like the first couple of times you do it, not only do you have to like get the physical aspect of it down and kind of get that back, but then your brain has to like rebuild the neural pathways. But if you can keep doing it for a while, then your brain becomes accustomed to doing it and it becomes much easier and easier and easier for you and eventually becomes part of your routine. It's very difficult to break routines, but once you can do it and if you can do it for three weeks, you can establish the pattern. Power. Power to the people. Okay. That's a good way to – I mean you had to say something. I guess that was what we were going to go with, right? <laughs> like. I still want to do a top five one day, like top five things you say when you don't know what else to say. What's yeah, your go-to right week. now? Uh, probably that. Probably the, uh, like, a, I try to extend or, you know, or, or pick up the dead space any way that I can, but it's probably like the, uh, to be honest. I don't really have a saying. Oh, I, I go with ain't that the truth. Because whether they're complaining about something or telling you something they think is funny, ain't that the truth basically covers all the ground. I usually just say, hey. And then leave silence or just walk away without saying anything. 
Okay, are you ready for our top five? I am, and I'm. I uh, for those of you who might not know this, you might be just tuning in for one of the first times. Uh, I don't. I don't know where Nick comes up with a lot of these ideas. Uh, this one, I have no idea. So, can you explain why we're doing this top five? So it's top five Georges. We're just counting down a list of the top five most famous and influential Georges. <laughs> okay. I just, I just like. There's Johns, there's, you know, Nicks, there's Mads. We can do them all. Well, we're starting off with George. (laughs) Okay, well. All right, so top five most, top five most famous Georges. What's your number five? You're going to hate my number five, actually. I mean, you might laugh me out of the room, but my number five is a personal decision, and it's my favorite Formula One driver, and it's George Russell. Okay, is he even that good of a Formula One driver? Yes, he's going to be world champion someday. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. So eventually this he'll year. be good. No, this year. Sorry, it's this year now. Okay, so has Maybe he won year. the championship before? He has not, but he's only had one year on a good team. So. Okay, how many years has he had overall? Uh, this will be his fourth year. Okay, so he's really not that good is what you're telling me, right? He's okay. Listen. Listen. He's in the league, but he's not winning championships. Well. Yeah. That's a little. Okay. So, George. What's his name? Russell. George Porgy. Russell. God. Sorry. My number five is a real famous George. George Foreman. George Foreman is a very famous person. One of the few athletes probably more famous for what he did after his athletic career ended than during hmm. he had George I Foreman mean, grill, man. That was a big thing for a while. That was a trend that swept I mean, the nation. I mean, listen, I'm not going to give you any flack for this because I put George Russell's my number five, but um, I, yeah, I, I don't, I think he's honorable mention at best. I don't know if he's top five material. If I were to, George really Foreman? Look at it. First of all, I, I George so. Russell is nowhere near George I Foreman. I know. He's he's, he's a, not but, even if George Foreman is number five, George Russell is number twenty seven. I mean you could be right on that. I'm not I'm not saying you're not I'm I'm not trying to say that George Russell. So you're biased and you're letting your own bias get into this. I take this from a factual said, approach, which is why George Foreman is my number five. <laughs> I will say this. You are absolutely right in everything you said. And the foreman, the foreman grill or whatever, uh, was revolutionary. Just like the air fryer was revolutionary. Yeah. Now, who, um, who would be the spokesperson for the air fryer? I feel like it has Mike to Tyson. be. My, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps wishes he could be in an air fryer. No, he's too young. You've got to have a certain amount of like, I like to eat, right? <laughs> I'm trying to think of a woman. I feel like an air fryer should be a woman. Demi Moore. Demi Moore could make a good air fryer spokesperson. Okay, I'll go with Demi Moore. Demi Moore air fryer. I agree. I agree. Uh, what's your number four? Uh, all right, getting to my actual list now. Uh, my number four, uh, George Carlin. Mm. Okay. I have him a little bit higher. 
I have him a little oh, bit higher, okay. so I'd be interested to see what your other ones that you put above George Carlin are. Uh, my number All four right, is well, George Michael. I I thought about George Michael. I He's honorable mention again for me. I mean, what, revolutionary, an, an activist, spokesperson for, you know, the for the LD, LGBT community back when, obviously, you know, the 80s wasn't a time when you uh, were or, or wasn't accepted, however you want to remember those times. But uh, And he was a great musician. So I think that's fair. I think that's good to put him on the list. He just didn't didn't make mine. How sure are you, though, that when you're thinking about George Michael, you're not thinking about Boy George? <laughs> I have to. You're abs- I mean, well. That's the problem, right? That's the only reason I couldn't put George Michael higher is I do get him a little confused with Boy George. I mean, I, I get that. I, I don't confuse them, but I think it's it's easy to confuse them. Uh, so some people might hate on me for this, uh, but I'm going to say my number three is George Washington. I don't actually know what he really did, right? I understand that he's <laughs> the first president. He was a great general, that kind of stuff. But I don't really know what he really did. Because if it wasn't him, wouldn't it just have been somebody else? Like, oh, no, George Washington's not the first president. It was John Adams. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, but you could say that about anything in history, I I feel. Either way, you know, for him being the first president of the United States, I feel like that automatically puts you on on a top five George list. Like, I don't have George, you know, George Bush on here. Yeah, I don't have either of the Georges. I don't have any political Georges. There's no political Georges. All right, what's your number three? Curious George. (laughs) What's wrong with Curious George? Because he's not a real person? You going to make that Um, argument? No, I mean, here's the thing. is Like I said, I, I have George Russell on my list. So, I mean, you just basically kind of counteracted my terrible pick with that terrible pick. More people know who Curious George is, and Curious George has been very influential in a lot of people's lives. Most people don't care about George Russell, and he's not impacted their lives. That's why I think Curious George should be higher than some other people. (laughs) I mean, it's just just so bad, man. It's, uh, huh. Okay, well, um, all right. Here's the thing, though. If you showed me a picture of George Russell, I don't know who it is. Everybody knows who Curious George that's, is. That's fine. I I understand it's a terrible number five, but I had to put him on the list just in case he listens to this podcast. Curious George isn't even a real person. It's just a cartoon character. Still an infam- still a very influential George. What's your number two? Uh, George Clooney. George Clooney is a mid-level actor at best in terms of his talent, <laughs> not his famousness. But he's not like, wow, George Clooney, great in this, right? Like, he's all right. He's kind of a – he's like a tier below Brad Pitt, I think, in acting ability. And that's why I thought about George Clooney. But, like, he's not anywhere near any of these other Georges. I mean, he's above George Russell, but he's not better than George Foreman, George Michael, or Curious George. I think on if we're going based, you know, if one of our criteria is recognizability alone, 
than the last four decades. I don't think there's been one George that is, you know, everyone knows George Clooney. People who don't even know movies or TV know who George Clooney is. Name me the best George Clooney movie. He's one of those actors that has not really been in a lot of good movies. Been around for a well, long time, but it's not really been in a lot of good movies. Well, uh, I can I'm, I'll be honest to God. I'm trying to think of right George Clooney movies. Um, like I can tell you what they're about, but I can't really tell you any. Can't oh, think man, of a single kind of like, oh yeah, man, George Clooney um, movie. You can do that with Brad Pitt. You can do that with a lot of other actors that have been around for a long time, but you can't really do that with well, George Clooney. Okay, all right. So, first thing that comes to my mind is when he was Batman, which is terrible. It was the worst Batman, um, right up there. He was in, he was in that Tarantino movie in the nineties. Uh, uh, dusk, uh, dustness, dust till dust till dawn, dust till dawn. Right, right. You don't again. You don't know the name of it. I've yeah. never heard of it. Well, and the well. I'm not claiming to. Oh, the Oceans trilogy? He was in the Ocean 11. Yeah, but that was an ensemble Whatever. cast. Like, it's not like that was George Clooney doing that, right? Like, he was making Yeah, right. Like, I mean, he was good. I, I'm just saying, I think that in terms of famous Georges, he is he's up there. I think he deserves to be top three at this point in, in time. Maybe I would I could give you a top five five or ten years ago, but not now. Uh, my number two is George Carlin, probably along okay. with um, Richard Pryor, one of the most influential and famous comedians. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why I think he started writing books before other comedians did. I think he had some VHSs that were released before others did. He was groundbreaking, and he was damn good. He was original, funny. He was just awesome. Yeah, he's way up there. Okay, who's your number one? This kind of scares me. Do we have the same number one? Mm, I don't know. Maybe in my mind, in my mind, he's not somebody you like. You kind of forget about him a little bit, but then when you're like, oh yeah. Okay, well, what's your what uh, do you what go ahead and say it? George Lucas. George Lucas. Yeah. Okay. I think it has to be George Lucas. In terms of like he created basically an entire universe that is massively <laughs> popular. I think it has to be George well, Lucas. I mean, universe is, right? He did Indiana Jones among others. I mean, it just oh, wasn't yeah, Star I Wars. About that. Like has to be George Lucas is the most famous George. Most influential. Who's in your honorable mention? Uh, so uh, I, me, I have, a, I have okay, a few. If you, when you give them to me, though, give me the ones that you thought about, like not just honorable mention, but like, ooh, I might have put them in the top five. Ooh, well, I'm just looking here. For that, I probably would only have... Uh, let me see. I'm just, I, had a, I had a few. Um Probably only had two that I would consider putting on my top five, and that was George Patton. Okay. The, Famous the, World the, War II general, general. And uh, George Harrison, the Beatles guitarist. Yeah, but he's probably the least famous of the Beatles. I can't even put him as my number one musical George. I would put him below Boy George. 
Oh my god! I listen. Nothing against Boy George at all, um, but I, he's uh, yeah. I mean George Harrison and, and what and what the Beatles did. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, but he doesn't get very much credit. The other ones are more famous, right? Like Paul, Ringo, John Lennon. They're more famous. George Harrison. Is John Lennon. Like, oh, okay, yeah, he was a Beatle too. Like I was there too, guys. John- like oh, whatever, George. Um, <laughs> okay. George. He's making a strong push. He's making a strong push. George R. R. Martin from Game of Thrones, the author of Game of Thrones, Song of Fire and Ice, House of the Dragon. He's making a push. Nah, bro. I have um I had George I have George Costanza. <laughs> even though he's what's the real name? Jason Alexander is the actor who plays George yeah. Costanza in Seinfeld, but I feel like George Costanza Deserves a spot on the list. No. George Washington Carver because of Peanuts. It's not bad. George Pig, the sibling of Peppa Pig. Okay, this is just getting stupid now. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. We all know that George Russell does not belong anywhere, at least not yet, on a list of the top five Georges. But let us know who you think actually belongs on a list of top five Georges. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.